0: Let's Run Nation, you want a fulfilling career while giving back to the sport you love? The opportunity of a lifetime could be a crazy running franchise. Crazy Running offers running, track and field conditioning programs for athletes ages 3 to 17. Crazy Running started in 2009 with a small group of crazy runners training on one track. They dreamed of reaching more kids and sharing their passion across the country. Now they've expanded to five different states. If you've got a passion for running, which you do, enjoy working with kids, think on your feet, you're a positive person and want to motivate and lead others. This is a financially and personally rewarding, flexible career. This can be a full-time thing, but it's really a perfect side gig for those of you trying to train full-time. Check it out, crazyrunning.com slash franchise. Link in the show notes. Give it a thought. to believe and, and somehow she found the
1: acceleration them, Welcome to this week's episode of the Let's run.com track talk podcast. Paul Chalimo and Leonard Correa both took big swings at fast times in Europe and came up a little bit short. but Alish McColgan didn't as she set her second British record of the year to win the Berlin half in Washington D.C., our nation's capital. Hillary Boer and Sarah Hall won the US 10-mile titles with Hillary breaking the American record kind of. We'll get into that. Down under, Jessica Hall won a stacked Aussie 1500 final while 16-year-old Cameron Myers came up just shy of the leading much of the way. Plus there was an epic men's 4x4 At the Texas Relays, where Bryce Hoppel lost to a D2 athlete in the men's 800. We get into all of that. And then at the end of the show, we are joined by Hillary Bohr to discuss his success on the roads and how he just made a cool $59,000 at Cherry Blossom over the weekend. This is Jonathan Galt. I am joined by my co hosts and the co founders of Let's Run.com, Robert and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good to be here, John. Good to be here.
0: No, congratulations. I feel like congratulations are in order. Reporting live from Connecticut, I figured it out. We are the best state of college. Basketball, men's and women's, there's no doubt about it, John. In the history, per, per capita for sure. Oh my gosh, Connecticut. I found something for us that
1: we're number one at. Well then, I will offer you congratulations if you can name one player on the UConn men's basketball team. Hurley. (laughs) Not a player. And you don't even know what Hurley is their coach. Can you tell me the first name of their head coach? John,
0: Hurley is a player. He came in in the last seconds of the game. I saw that.
1: The the coach's son. Oh, all right. What's his name? What's the kid's name? Yeah, sorry. You don't get credit for this. No congratulations. Well, then maybe next year if you learn to play his name.
0: Sunoco. Sunoco. Watched the whole game last night.
2: John, I'm just glad, Weldon, to see him safe today. I was on Twitter. I, I saw some outrage over the white thugs at UConn breaking in the building, celebrating. So I was afraid Weldon was caught up in the violence in the streets. One thing you didn't say in your intro is I'm going to be introducing everybody to possibly the next college sensation, Caitlin Toohey 2.0. And
0: hey guys, this Hillary Bore talk is going to be very important. Not only did he win $59,000 this weekend and is the hottest, the richest thing in American distance running right now, but we picked the men's Olympic team on the Supporters Club podcast. Those of you who are not Supporters Club members, you're missing out. We went through all the distance events, gave our picks for the Olympics t- team. And until really like last year, Hillary Bohr was known for being a steeplechaser. We still is. He's won, what, three straight U.S. titles? And we said before this, hey, if he keeps running well at the roads, is there a chance he shifts to the marathon before the trials? Still don't think so. We will find that out for sure. And if you want to hear us pick the women's Olympic team, you need to be a supporters club member. Join today. Let's slash subscribe. It's the only way to get all the Let's Run podcast. You get a second podcast every week. Savings and running shoes. Exclusive content. Oh, and if you use code CLUB25, you'll save 25%. Free t-shirt if you join for a year. 80% of people sign up for a year. Maybe more even.
1: So do it today. Well, I think it's appropriate we start on that Olympic team projection note. And again, we made our picks on last week's Friday 15 for the men's side. And two of the names we discussed well, Paul Chalimo and Leonard Courier. you guys said, "Oh, we, we might want to hold our picks until after they race over the weekend because both of them were doing big time races." Paul Chalimo, the Berlin Half Marathon; Leonard Courier, the Paris Marathon. Both of them went out pretty hard. Paul 28 twenty eight thirteen through ten k, so that is fifty nine thirty one pace for the half marathon. The American record is fifty nine forty three. But then he blew up and his final 10.1k was 34.09. That's 64.55 pace for the half. So he ends up finishing in 62.22. Korea also went out. He was on 205 pace through 10k. Halfway he hit it in 63.19. He faded not quite as badly as Chalimo, but he closed 66.12 for his second half. He ends up running two oh nine thirty. One, do you guys applaud them for going for it? Should we be disappointed they couldn't hold on? Does it change how you think of their Olympic prospects at all?
2: It's kind of interesting because I don't really think it changes that much for me. I picked Leonard career to make the U S Olympic marathon team. And I'm still feeling pretty good about that pick because and I've got this stat in the written version of our weekly recap, the week that was. It'll be up before this podcast gets released, hopefully. There's only five men that have broken 209.30 since 2021. Galen Rupp, Scott Favle, Alkanakabet, Connor Mantz and Zach Panning. But most of them, well, four of the five, are between 208.52 and 209.28. And they're not blowing up to that. They're running a pretty even damn race. This guy, I, I think, winner a career on a sort of so-so day as a 209-30 guy. If you put him in an actual marathon a trials race where he just has to run with the pack and beat some guys, I'm feeling pretty good about that. As for Paul Tulimo, I think all of us were a little bit torn because the logic of it w- was confusing. If he goes out and rocks the half marathon, right? Well, I guess that would be good for his Olympic chances, but we were thinking he might then just try to move up to the marathon and try in the marathon in, the, in, in, in January, February, whenever the trials are. And then if that doesn't work out, he could try the track again. But also if he rocks the half marathon, it means he's in great shape. And why not just stick in the 5,000 where you've won two Olympic medals? Because I think the odds of him winning an Olympic medal in the marathon are slim, much slimmer than they would be in the 5,000. You know, depending which which event is his best chance, but I think I said before the race, like, look, his agent's talking a big game, says he's ready to go sub 60. I go, if this guy runs like 62 minutes, I'm going to be upset, but I'm not really upset because he did go out hard. 28, would you say 10?
1: 28, 13.
2: I mean, it's kind of crazy. He ran 429 mile pace for the first 5K, 435 mile pace for the next 5K, 453 for the next 5K, and then 459.8 to the finish. So he got slower every race, but... Like I, I feel like he wanted to try to run fast. He got over his skis, blew up. But I think I think that he's. I would be surprised about this if he, if he's now going to move to the marathon. But I think his fitness is okay. It's, it, it you know if you're running twenty eight ten, blowing up, you could probably run twenty seven fifty. And if you paced everything properly and did a negative split, if he's in twenty seven fifty shape right now, if I'm a U.S. Five thousand, guy. That makes me a little bit nervous for the trials. I think, wow, Paul Chalimo might actually be relevant on the track this summer. What about you?
0: Twenty-seven fifty scares you these days. Like five random college guys just ran sub twenty-eight at Stanford. Can't believe that even moves the needle for you. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be the, uh, making the team. The ten thousand.
2: He just has to be fit enough to stay with the pack, and then I'll kick everybody like he does all the time, right, John?
1: Yes, Robert's right on this one, Weldon. Yeah, 27.50. Again, Robert, we're using somewhat of a a little bit of a conversion, but I I think that makes sense for what kind of 10K road shape he would be in right now. I mean, Weldon, let's compare this to last year. This time last year, he ran a 10K road race in Lille, France, and he ran 29.32. That was kind of a giveaway. Oh, this guy's not going to be doing anything at USA Outdoors. This... Th- that's certainly... in 2750, if you're in that kind of shape for 10K on April 1st, I'm going to say this guy has a pretty decent chance to be in contention in the 5K. Not necessarily winning, but yeah, if I was one of these other Americans, I'd be sh- thinking, man, Shalimo's not going to be a total write-off like he was in the, t- in the 5K okay. last year.
0: Okay, I understand the argument a little bit. I'll throw it to you, John. Who of these two
1: performances, who are you most worried about? I would say the chilimo one is slightly more worrying but no i'm not tremendously worried about either i mean i i was but that's the thing i was never s- super convinced that this paul Chelimo r- move to the roads was going to go amazing and also i mean he went out hard i give him credit for going for it i'd like to see him take another crack maybe he runs the world half marathon championships this fall or something but the way Robert rationalized the career one, that he's still running a pretty solid time for an American, even though it's a blowing up, that's more encouraging to me than 62-20 just totally falling apart over the second half.
0: Agreed. I mean, coming into this, you said Chulian runs run 62-20, but like, oh, that's terrible. But the way it went about, it's like, okay, that's about the most encouraging 62-20. Clearly, he thought he was in better shape than that. He went for it. Paid the price. And I'm also ev- evaluating him on a slightly different standard than I'm ev- evaluating Leonard Career. I don't think Leonard Career is like gonna be a medalist possibly at the Olympics. Chalimo, I still would I wouldn't rule it out. So I'm like, oh, can he really do something? Can he really do something in the half? You know, is he gonna really be a factor in the five? So at the same time though, the fact that, oh, Chalimo's in high 27, 10k shape. It's not where he needs to be, but it shows there's a possibility he can get where he he needs to be. So, somewhat of a wash for me, but I think both guys... The career performance is obviously so much better relatively on an American scale. Although people are pointing out Bill Rogers. That dude was running 209 back in the day, John. No super shoes.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean Bill Rogers is a legend of American distance running so he I think he gets his due and he actually was in action over the weekend ran 136 I think at Cherry Blossom 75 years old I mean for 10 miles that's not bad at all uh what I would say though I give both of these guys credit for flying out to Europe and trying to go for it and run a fast race like how many times do we say oh man you know we look at all these Fast Japanese marathoners in Tokyo or something like that. And like, it would be awesome if we could get an American or two to fly out to one of these deep road races in Europe that goes out pretty fast and ha- gives them an opportunity to run fast. They did that. They tried to go with some of these lead packs and try to run fast. They couldn't hold on. But I applaud them for making the effort because that's not something many Americans try to do.
2: We should probably talk about the winners of these races. The Berlin half, Sebastian Solway, the 28 year old who kind of has emerged out of nowhere at age, what, 26 or 27? He become one of the best runners in Kenya. He got the win in fifty nine flat, which is pretty much about what he always runs. He's now run five half marathons in his life. Average time is fifty eight, fifty three. The slowest he's ever run is fifty nine, twenty three it's kind of like a metronome 5902 5802 5923 58 58 59 flat so congrats to him and then in the women's race it was pretty interesting because Alice McColgan, who ran the 30 flat british record on the track but had pulled out of the united airlines nyc half with an injury scare she loves to race so she's racing kind of like, she's like reminds me of sarah hall a little bit younger version of sarah hall she goes over there and just destroys her own British record by 43 seconds, 65, 43. But apparently she was like grabbing her hamstring in the last thousand a couple of times. It said it was extremely painful. And she says, I hope it's just a cramp or something like that. So the fitness is there. But John, Howe, as a Brit or at least a half Brit, John, is that insulting to call you a half Brit? Because you're probably fully American and fully British.
1: I mean, I have dual citizenship, so yeah. I like I the way I like to think of myself is well, actually, I don't know. Am I half British, half American, or fully British, fully American? I like to think I'm full, both, having lived in both countries, celebrate both holidays, that sort of thing. But, but what, did you have a
2: question there? Well, how concerned are you about her London prospects? I mean, her fitness is off the charts, but it's. I just this is a woman that pulled out last year from the, we supposed to debut in the fall in London. Didn't do it because she was having fueling issues. So who knows if she's figured that out. And then now she's got a slight injury scare. Like, is that going to hold up over 26.2 miles?
1: I think that's what makes this debut so interesting, Robert, because if you just look at her results this year, she's smashing it. You would say, this is going to be a massive debut. Best British marathoner since Paula Radcliffe. You know She's run 30 flat for 10K on the track and now 65-43 in the half marathon. Everything's lining up. But then, you like you said, withdrew, withdrew last fall because of the fueling issues in practice. She was supposed to run the New York City half in March. She scratched from that due to injury concerns and now entering, ending Berlin. I think if she m- makes it to the finish line on April 23rd in London, she's going to run a great time. But there's legitimate concern that she's not going to be able to do that because, you know, 26.2 miles, if you have any sort of flaws, they are going to be exposed over two and a half hours of racing. So I don't know, Robert. I'm as curious as everyone else to see how she handles it. But I do think she has the skill set to be a great marathoner if her body holds up. That brings me to a question I have for you. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about This year's Boston Marathon versus this year's London Marathon. Which one has the better field? What are we looking forward to more? And in all of that discussion, the name Safan Hassan did not come up once. And it should have because she's making her marathon debut in London. And my question for you, who finishes higher in London on April 23rd? Safan Hassan or Ailish McColgan?
2: That's easy for me. My God, are you kidding I actually need to say the name.
1: Well, I know she's the former world record holder in the 10K. She is the Olympic champion in the 5K and 10K. She has run faster in the half, 65-15. But I will say this. The, oh, the reason I asked this question is because when Hassan announced her plans to debut in London... She wasn't saying, oh, I'm going all in to run as fast as possible. I'm going out with the leaders. She said, I still want to run a track season. I'm going to balance this marathon training with my track preparations. Her focus, she still wants to run and win gold in Budapest this summer. McColgan, she hasn't said the same thing. My assumption is she's going to be all in on London and then she'll take the rest of her season as it comes. I'm just curious if... Hassan's not going all in on this marathon buildup. Maybe McColgan could beat her. That's kind of but you, you think. Even if that's the case, you, you're taking Hassan, no question?
2: Well, I mainly take her, no question, because A, she's one of the greatest runners in history. B, McColgan's one of the best British runners in history. She's not a world... She's never contended for anything at the world level before. And I don't have any injury concerns about Hassan. I'm worried that, that McColgan is not going to. I'm putting over under. I, let me rephrase it. I think the odds that McColgan does not start or drops out of the race are higher than that. She, than, that she breaks two twenty. I'm just I'm worried about this injury scare all of a sudden. So now, the, if if they both were healthy and racing, though I still would go with Hassan. Now, the only thing that would make me a little bit worried is McColgan appears to be made for the marathon. Her mother was a great marathoner. She said that my daughter's always going to run the marathon. McColgan's slowly it's just taking a long time to get there. So if that's her event, Hassan is a former 1500-meter world champion, right? I mean, how is her... Yeah, who is has run
1: 156 for 800 meters?
2: So I'm not sure she's going to hold up over the marathon. So if they're both right. healthy and whatever, I, I can see that. But I, I don't have the injury concerns I do with... McColgan. So I, 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 I'm saying Hassan wins. What about you?
1: I'm kind of leading McColgan because I view her more built for the marathon, and I, yeah, I mean it's it sounds ridiculous because Hassan's run faster for five k and ten k, and she's like you said one of the greatest distance runners of all time. But I, with the way she's approaching this race and. Yeah, that speed over the 800 and 1500, I am leaning a little bit towards McColgan even if that sounds like heretical cuz I I don't I don't- I also wonder Hassan, she says she wants to be a little bit more conservative, I think. But what if she gets sort of caught up and she's going out with the leaders who are running 2:15-2:16 pace? McColgan's like, "I can't run that fast. I'm going to hang back and try to run like 2:18 and she doesn't, she has a lower blow up risk because she's not going out with these women running super fast up front. Well,
2: I was going to call you out on that because you dinged Hassan, but originally when you're analyzing the two, you said, Oh, Hassan said she may not go out with the leaders. I'm like, Who do you think is more likely to go out with the leaders? I'd almost bet my life that McColgan does not go out with the leaders because I think she'll probably have her own pacers, her own thing, right? Be very, very, very smart, like the weak ass. Mo Farah thing didn't he have? Did not go out with? Did he not go out with the lead pack the first time he ran it?
1: I, I thought he did. I well, apologize. I'm pretty sure he
2: did. I, I apologize if he did. I think he didn't. There was some talk that he wouldn't go out with the lead pack. I'm like, no, you're one of the greatest distance runners in history. You need to go out with the lead pack. Whereas I, I think that she's talked about this going out slow. I just don't see that happen. I think Hassan's going to go out with the lead pack and just see what happens.
1: That's the thing because she's a competitor. You know, I've watched her. She's a fierce competitor. She's not going to just be. The the true greats, I remember talking to Renato Canova about this with Bekele. It's like, Bekele would never go into any race and do anything other than run with the lead pack because he's Kennedy's Bekele. That's just you don't do that when you're one of the all-time greats. I think Hassan could be the same way. And that if she does do that, and she's a little undercooked, maybe she ends up blowing up, whereas I think McColgan's situation, you nailed it. She's probably not going to go with Leah's. Well then, Can you weigh in on this? Do you think I'm totally off base even comparing the two or is this a legitimate question to be pondered?
0: Sorry, John, a little bit distracted here watching the five hours of CNN coverage. Donald Trump to be arrested. Just switched the channel here to Fox News. Interesting. They're talking about women's college basketball. Who would have thought Fox News is talking about women's college basketball? What are the odds of that?
1: Wait, is Fox just seriously, I mean, it wouldn't totally shot me, but are they seriously not even going to cover the Trump arrest today? I
0: assume they will, but it's not five hours of straight coverage there.
1: Yeah. I thought Rupert Murdoch didn't like Trump anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that is the case. Stick to running, gentlemen. Please stick to running. Thank you. John, this is a great question because I think most people on the servers, oh, of course, Hassan beats her. She's a better runner, better distance runner. But then once you start breaking it down, McColgan's getting better and better. I mean, she looks tailor-made for this long-distance stuff. 105 is pretty good. Hassan's obviously faster, but... Okay. I think maybe in the marathon, McColgan's going to be probably more consistent. She's more suited for it. And she's probably more prepared for this one. Long-term, I think if you give McColgan... Hassan enough cracks at it she's going to have a faster marathon PB than McColgan I mean it's not set in stone we've got tons of people like Zursin S.A. Tadese or somebody who's good at the half marathon never really figured out the marathon but in London next month I was about to say this month I don't know who I like better I'm a little worried about this injury from McColgan right there but if they both start healthy I think probably McColgan beats her. Actually, I, I don't expect Hassan to finish.
1: Wow, interesting. So, what began as a discussion, Robert saying he didn't even need to answer the question, we've now got two of the three of us th- saying that McColgan is going to beat her in London. I don't know. I also maybe we get. I'll I'll be there in London covering the race. Maybe I get there and Hassan says, actually, marathon training has gone amazing, and I think I'm made for this event. And like, if she's Actually, talking up her chances, then I'd probably switch back to Hassan. But right now, I think I'm leaning a little bit more towards McColgan.
0: John, for the record now, Fox News. Soon, Trump departure from New York City Courthouse. There's like an overhead shot. So they're going to at least cover this here.
1: Okay. I hope that's the last Trump Fox News update we get on the show. It's not why people sign up to listen.
0: MSNBC here. I don't get any of those fringe channels.
1: All right, you right. should be switching to Peacock because Brighton versus Bournemouth, that's clearly the biggest event of today. They should have a two-hour pregame show for that thing. Also, one other thing on McColgan. Do you know who the runner-up in this race was in Berlin? Did you guys notice? It's Siggy Salama of Ethiopia, who just got second at World Cross, and McColgan beat her by 30 seconds. So... I mean, she is really fit right now. That, that's a that's a big-time victory over a real star. Uh, well, a real... Gabriel Salama, maybe she doesn't have their name recognition of a star, but she just got second at World Cross, so clearly she's in good shape.
0: Okay, John, just switched over to MSNBC. I think I saw the same camera angle earlier on a different channel. But trivia question, John. Andrea Mitchell, the television commentator, who is she married to, John?
1: The answer better be running related. Well, then. Otherwise, I don't know why you're asking this question. Um, I don't know. I have no like, idea.
0: It is running related. It's Alan Greenspan. That's not running related. John, I used to run to work. There was an ophthalmologist in the basement and Alan Greenspan. He's very old. I swear at the time, this is 25 years ago, came in the elevator. I was dressed in my running stuff and there was Alan Greenspan. Because someone so he's not them? a runner.
1: You you just ran into him in running clothes. Well then, uh, do we need to silence his mic for the rest of the episode, Robert? What's going on here?
2: Please do. This is embarrassing. Stop. Anyways, John, you earlier I said that I, you know I, I want to see the grades like Farah and Hassan etc. Go with the lead pack, but the thing is, sometimes it's actually smart not to go with the lead pack. And I actually think if everybody ran smart, running would be very boring. You would just try to minimize energy expenditure and then get to the finish line. And we saw that in Paris. In the women's race, Hella Kiprop, former silver medalist in the marathon at Worlds. She got the win. It wasn't a fast race. It was like two twenty, three nineteen. Like a three women sprint finish. I think five women were within like 15, 20 seconds of the win. But she was like over a minute back at thirty K. And wasn't with the leaders at halfway. Just, I guess she knew she couldn't run like 220 pace. So she's running like 222, 223 pace. She faded. They faded more and she wins
1: the race. Well, that's one of the great things about the marathon. And we've seen it in London before. How did Sarah Hall get second in London in 2020? It's because she was one of the, she did not go out with the women who were going out crazy fast in these conditions trying to hang with Bridget Cosguy. She hung back and ran them down. That, to me, is fascinating. And that's why it would have been awesome if we had Ruth Chepengedich in this London Marathon field, because could you imagine what would have happened if Chepengedich is in there? She tries to go out in something like sixty-five thirty, like she did in Chicago. Does someone like Cosguy or Jepchichich go with her and try to hang on, or do they back off and hope that they can run her down the decisions that they would have to make, the race dynamics would be absolutely fascinating. And I'm curious, I'm very interested to see what is the lead pace going to be in London. If Cosguy says, I'm going to go out in 67 minutes, does anyone go with her? I don't know. It's going to be great.
2: The other thing that struck me about these races is just how young the people are going to the marathon. I mean, the winner for the men's race in Paris was Isalu Ayana, 20-year-old male, 59, 39, half PB. He beat Gaia Adolia, by the way, the 203 guy. They ran, winning time was 207 15. But then in Daegu, we had the same thing. We had a 22 year old Ethiopian, Okelsha Megetsa, who actually made the Olympics in the 5,000 in 2021. 1258 guy. He ain't messing around on the roads. Like, I guess there's, do you want to get eighth or 10th or 12th of worlds from Ethiopia? There's not much money in that. Move to the roads. You just win Daegu.
1: Oh, I was surprised by that because M- Milkesa Mangesha was the world under twenty cross country champion in twenty nineteen. You win world junior cross; you're a huge, huge talent. I-, I thought he would stick around on the track a little bit longer than he has, and maybe he'll go back. But that was—I so- was surprised to see him making his debut this early.
2: Well, this wasn't his debut; he already debuted in December in Valencia, ran two hundred five twenty nine. Oh, geez. So, you know, maybe he's going to be one of the. Yeah. I thought it's the next decade. All right. We'll talk about the US 10 miler near the end of the show, right? Because we're having Hillary Bohr on then, or do you want to talk about it now?
1: I feel like we can talk about it briefly now, and then we can talk to Hillary more about the, how the race played out, his future, that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, I would say very impressive run for Hillary Bohr, forty six eleven. In windy conditions that were not ideal for distance running. Uh, he was second overall. He got beat by Sege Kadanu of Ethiopia, who took the overall win in 46.08. But Bo was o- almost a minute ahead of the next closest finisher, third place Obia Simbasa, 4709. So he was 58 seconds behind him. And it's interesting because. Hillary Ball won $59,000 for this race. And when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. This is an American record. How is that possible? Because on the website beforehand, we talked about this on the Friday 15. They were offering $50,000 for any man or woman who broke the American record. And
2: well, no, it, it was a bonus it was pool. Prize
1: pool total. Yes. If there were multiple record holders, the $50,000 would be split. But the time listed for the American record on the men's side was 45:54, which is what Galen Rupp ran at the Roe River half. Remember that COVID half on that bike path in Oregon in the fall of 2020? That's where Galen Rupp ran that 10-mile split. And that's what the organizers thought the record was. But apparently that record actually hasn't been officially ratified. Neither was Hillary Boy's 4,606 from... Minnesota last fall, which he ran to win the ten k, the U.S. 10-mile championships. That course was ineligible for record purposes. This meant that the actual official USATF American record was 46-13, which Greg Meyer said cherry blossom way back in 1983, just before he won the Boston Marathon. And that was actually the time Boar had to beat. They straightened this out at this technical meeting beforehand, even though it was the fastest time on the website. And that was the time he did beat. He beat it by two seconds to get the American record, even though conditions were working against him. So pretty great run for him. Uh, And two American, two American titles in the 10 miles in the last six months. Not bad for a steeple specialist, right?
2: Well, I don't think we call him steeple specialist anymore. By the way, it was the 50th credit union. Cherry Blossom 10 miler. That's why they had the $50,000 bonus pool. But yeah, I I just think it's kind of a cool story. He wears, it wasn't even wearing a watch. So he was like, and David Monty, I talked to him from Races Alls Weekly. I think he was in the lead truck. He said like the nine mile mark was blown over. I mean, the wind here on Saturday night was so crazy. Yeah, I'm only an hour from D.C. It was like 70 miles an hour. My, my, my realtor's furniture was blown off his deck, like heavy furniture. But, you know, he, he gets the mark, but the guy that wins the race gets 8,000. He gets second and gets 59,000. Kind of interesting. But it also just reminded me of like back in the day, Greg Meyer ran this race and then 22 days later, he won the Boston Marathon in two and a half. Nowadays, I guess we occasionally see people race in a half. In this case, Sarah Hall ran.
1: What do you mean? Sarah Hall and Nell Rojas are the top two Americans in this race. They're both running the Boston Marathon and there's only two weeks between the races, not three like it was for Greg Meyer.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, Sarah Hall. I guess you're right. Some people do race, but just back in the day, they raced more often. Sarah Hall won the women's U.S. title, but she didn't get the bonus. What was her time, John?
1: Fifty-two thirty-seven, and she was thirty-three seconds behind the overall winner, Sarah got of Uganda. It was actually a pretty close sprint between the top four Americans because Neil Rojas was only one second behind Hall. Emma Grace Hurley was four seconds behind Hall, and Molly Grable was five seconds behind Hall, so the top four Americans all separated by just five seconds. I would say it's a good sign for Sarah Hall, because she was worried. She got sick a few weeks ago, then she got COVID, wasn't sure how she was going to be able to do. This shows she's still in pretty good shape. Beating no Rojas, that's pretty nice scalp considering Rojas has been the top American in Boston the last two years. I'm not going to say automatically this means Sarah Hall is going to run great in Boston just because she still needs to be able to conquer those hills. It's going to be a different course, but it's a good sign. uh, Certainly after some injury problems and illness problems, the last six months.
2: Yeah. I think it was very encouraging for Sarah Hall because I mean, you know, she missed, remember, four months with some IT injury, right? Longest time of her career. Comes back, runs that Portugal half a few a few weeks ago, goes to Ethiopia. But it looks like everything is moving forward to the marathon. And I would much rather go into the marathon on the upswing, wishing I had a, more, a week or two than on the downswing, thinking, oh, I overcooked it. I mean, yeah. then that could be the boat. That, well, you know, we already talked about Alicia McColgan. Is she on that downswing? I know that her race this half was amazing, but if you're injured, you're going to wish you'd rather be undercooked than overcooked.
1: Well, it, it does remind me like this strange analogy, but like Cooper at USA's last year, he won it. And he was like, seemed like he'd perfectly peak. He was ready. And then he ended up having a uh, stress fracture and he was, you know, by the world championships, he had just, that he pushed his body to its limit and then it broke. So, I th- I think I you know I see what you're saying there a little bit, Robert. But that's a kind of a forced analogy, maybe. But
2: when we talk to Bohr later, I'm actually going to have to not be on the interview, guys. so I want you guys to ask him this. I mean, is he going to do the marathon trials? If I was him, well, it depends on how much money motivates you. And I don't know how the money works. You get a is it a, is it an Olympic bonus like? I would want to be paid for my marathon. I mean, there's prize money at the trials, but that's assuming you do well and make the team. But one option for him would be to not do the marathon trials, but to run New York City instead. I guess you could do both, but most of the Americans will be skipping New York because they want to focus on the marathon trials. That's all their eggs in the one basket. They're going to be desperate for Americans. And he could still do the full track season this summer and go get a nice payday at New York versus debuting, potentially not getting any money at the trials.
1: Yeah. If you're talking about finance, uh, I like that idea a lot, Robert. And like you said, yeah, New York's going to want someone to run, even though their race is two months out for the trials, not a lot of Americans going to want to do it. And, but I will say, I don't think it's crazy idea to suggest you might run the Olympic marathon trials because I'm thinking of another guy who used to train under Scott Simmons, Stanley Cabene. Remember in 2019, he finished 10th at the World in the steeplechase, running 8-11 in the final. It's a great time for a steeple. And four months later, he's out in Atlanta running the Olympic marathon trials. And I was like, why the hell is he doing this? But you know, that didn't go well. He DNF'd and... He's sort of had injury issues the, the next couple of years after that and hasn't really raced that much. But I don't think it's totally unprecedented for a Scott Simmons athlete, who we think is one of the world's top steeplechasers, to make a s- surprise marathon debut at the Olympic trials. Well, I'd like to know, like, would you do it just
2: because it gives you two shots to make the Olympic team, or it's because you think you have a better shot of actually doing better in the marathon? The mindset. So try to get to that later. All right. I want to talk about the Australian track and field championships. And John, maybe you can help me before we go there. Can someone explain this to me? In America, we call it track and field. Correct? That's the name of the sport. Yes. Overseas, they call it athletics, like world athletics. What is it called in Britain? Is it track and field or is it athletics? Athletics. Okay. But in Australia they seem confused. They seem to use both words because the name of their gov, like the, in America, it's USATF In Australia, their governing body is called athletics, Australia. Yet their national championships was called whatever the name of the sponsor was Australian track and field championships. So can you please explain that to me, John?
1: I can't explain. It's a logical incongruity. doesn't make sense.
2: Or does that show that maybe Australia doesn't really want to be part of the British Empire? They're really trying to be American by calling it, Jordan.
1: Well, they're not part of the British Empire. They're part of the Commonwealth, Robert. They haven't been part of the Empire for some time.
2: If you're Australian and know the answer, email me, Robert, at Let's Run. Robert, at Let's Run.com. But they had the um, their championships, and the, the big winners were... Well, Jessica Hull, set world leaders, won the 1,500 and 5,000, 4,04 and 1,505. And the women's 1,500 in Australia is pretty stacked. And then on the men's side, we saw the same thing. We saw a double by Caleb Davies, 3,37 and 1,352. But I was really into who was going to win the women's 1,500 and who was going to win the men's 1,500. And could 16-year-old Cam Myers win the men's 1,500? I said on the Friday 15, it would be an embarrassment to the country of Australia if he did win it. I was kind of hoping that he would because he's such a phenom. Now, he, I predicted pre- correctly he would not win. He lost by 0.10. But I assume you guys have watched this race video, correct? I put it up on the homepage. I have, yes. I was so impressed by how he ran. I already knew he was incredibly good for his age. But my God, the the... the just the calmness with what he runs. It was like he's been on the circuit for years.
1: I would say for most of the race, I agree. I was, I mean, a 16 year old going to the front of a national championship running PR pace ended up running 338.02, which is an age 16 world record. So to run your fastest time from the front in a national championship requires confidence. Uh, it requires (laughs) belief. I mean, that's basically the same thing. But yes, you can't really get rattled to freak out. This stage wasn't too big for him. But what I would say, Robert, is when he got passed with 200 meters to go, he responded really well on the home straight, but it it seemed like it kind of threw him off. And I don't know if that's because when Matthew Ramsden passed him, there was some contact and it ended up Rubbing his momentum a little bit. I don't know if he was, it's because Myers was already going all out. He just couldn't respond to the move. That was the one, if I'm really nitpicking and I, it feels a little unfair, the guy's 16. He ran an incredible race. That was the one part where it seemed like, oh, he might, you know, this is something you might need to work on moving forward because he ended up getting passed. He moved back to third. And Davis, one of the reasons he won this race is because he was able to pass Myers and he had superior positioning for him over the final 200. Do you agree, or am I being a little unfair? here?
2: I think you're being a little unfair. I would have to. I guess I'd have to go back and watch that place. But I, I just was like, I guess he's 16. He's been watching probably TV for three or four years. It's like, he, I guess he sees on the circuit, hey, if you're really good, you just get to the front and you do what you do. I mean, he, he, he ran just like Ingebrigtsen. He kind of was behind on the first turn. Then he's like, I don't want to be in the back, and slowly moved up, and by 300 meters, he was at the front, and then he led basically to the final 200. And I, I just thought it was a lot very, I guess, maybe running in the junior ranks, he's used to leading a lot, but just the confidence, like, my God, like, I would have been scared. Crap, man, he just looked like he's been doing this for a long time. So I don't remember if I was on the Ingebretsen in the hype train when he was 16 or 17. I don't think I was. I used to be getting you know burned so many times on the women's side, but now I'm all in on the, on the teen females teen again. I'm just going to start promoting them. It used to bother me that the sport is not about who's the best now. It's about who's going to be the best in five years. Now, he does look physically mature for his age, I would say. He's kind of big, right? But what a a prospect.
1: Well, the other thing about this, Robert, it's not just the confidence to go to the front. He's measuring his efforts so well without having a pacemaker. To do that, again, in a national final, to run at your personal best from the front, you've got to know what your capabilities are. A lot of younger athletes would blow up. They'd go out too fast, or they might not run fast enough. He seemed like he was riding that line just about perfectly. So yeah, he didn't get beat, but I don't think there was that much different. He could, have I don't know. I mean, he, he seems to know where his fitness is. He didn't run over his head, which I thought was, was smart.
2: Now, in the women's 1500, I went back and watched the last lap you know, Jessica Hall out kicked Abby Caldwell. I timed it off the YouTube video in like 58.5, but I don't think that was right. I've done a little TV production. Sometimes when you switch cameras, that one camera can be behind the other. Mm. So, because they said the time at the bell, and it was different than what was on the TV screen. So I think it was more like 59, but super impressive for her to pull off the double. And I just, I, I, I want to really congratulate Abby Caldwell. It was genius on her part to purposely lose the 1500 because last year when she won it and got the standard, they didn't send her to world. So this year she's like, okay, when I win, they don't send me. So I'm going to lose this year. And they always send the person that loses to world. So congratulations, Abby. I think you're going to be on your first world championship team this year. That's sarcasm if.
1: I I got it. I got it. This was a good race, though, because Australia, they've got a nice little crop of women's 1,500 runners between those two, Lyndon Hall, Georgia Griffith. They were all in the mix, and Hall clearly showed she's the top dog, but I would assume this makes that team selection pretty simple at this point. You just take Hall, Caldwell, and Hall, who were the top three at the trials, or top three at Nationals.
2: Well, there's no reason to pick it now. See what happens between... You know, if somebody gets hurt or whatever.
1: Uh, I guess so. Yeah.
2: And then there was a result that I probably wouldn't have noticed if it wasn't for David Monty and Race Results Weekly. I subscribe to his service; it's great. Because you talk about a spectator unfriendly event. That's what they. Aussie Aussie nationals are. I mean, they have the under 20 races. They have the Paralympic races and the nationals all going on at the same time. It goes on like all day. I guess USATF often does the juniors and the seniors at the same time, but I don't even bother to go to the junior race. I just go home or go to the apartment or whatever. But in the under 20 race, a woman by the name of Amy Bunnage, who just turned 18 on let's com grandfather's day. March 22nd, both my father and my grandmother. And I call it grandfather's day. They'll be my son's grandfather, but we're born on March 22nd. It's a great day. Besides July 24th, it's probably the second best day of the year. Well, my son's birthday now. Anyways, Amy Bunnage, who turned 18 on March 22nd and is headed to Stanford next year, she won the 3,000 and 9 flat point three three. Won the five thousand fifteen thirty one point nine six, And she might have won the 1,500 too. She was dead last because she fell. But the winning time was 419. This young lady ran 414. That's her PB. She ran that when she was 16, which, oh, by the way, was Caitlin Toohey's PB at age 16. And I've got this chart here, John. You seem to think I was over the top, but could she be Caitlin Toohey 2.0? Here are their PRs. When they turned 18, Amy Bunnage 207.5 for 800, Caitlin Tui 209.43. 1500, 62 for Amy, four five for Caitlin. So small edge to Tui. 3000 though, 851 for Amy, 901 for Caitlin. So two of the three, Amy's faster and she's basically the same in the third.
1: I think she's also faster in the 5K as well because she ran 1531 at Nationals, and Tui's high school PR was 1537. I mean, okay, I guess I'm always a little weary of... Sorry, wary of making these comparisons from one phenom to another because we know how difficult it is to make that jump to the next level. But yeah, 851 is a high schooler, that's absolutely phenomenal running. That would be the U.S. high school record by quite a bit if she was American. So... Huge prospect. She's going to Stanford. It's going to be fun. Stanford, how much talent are they going to have on that team next year? If Assuming Juliet Whitaker and Rasheem Willis stick around. You've got those two coming back as sophomores. You would have Amy Bunnage and Irene Riggs, who was the NXN and U.S. Junior Champion in cross country. And then on the men's side, you'd have Leo and Lex Young coming in. So tons of talent. I just, I don't know. It's about how she adapts the system. Can she continue improving? Like, Caitlin Toohey, a few years ago, we were having this discussion. She was running similar times to Buttage, and we were saying, oh, can she continue this? And now, clearly, she has. But we know that's not an easy step. So, yes, she has bright potential, but I guess I don't really want to speculate all that much.
0: Speculation, (laughs) John. It's the name of the game. But high schoolers, whatever, what's the point? I mean, I was doing a lot of moderating this weekend and people wanted to discuss whether 16 year olds could be on drugs, more so Cameron Myers than him. And I'm like, look, generally we don't allow that sort of talk with minors, but if you're the top 1600, 16 year old ever in the world, I'm fair letting people discuss it.
2: Speaking of Stanford and teen phenoms. Yeah. There were two team phenoms running at Stanford over the weekend, but not for Stanford. Two winners of the running lane cross-country championships during COVID. Colin Solomon, 356 miler, John, is that right? Yep. He made his Collegiate Outdoor 5000 debut, as did Jenna Hutchins of BYU. And both of them kind of had been, I don't know, struggling is the right word, but Jenna... Enrolled in BYU early last spring. Didn't really run cross for them. Ran like 15.57 indoors. I thought this was a big step forward for her. Didn't she run 15.35, Place fourth?
1: She did, yeah. I thought this was a ter- uh, terrific result for her. She ran two cross-country races, actually. But the second, most recent one, the Cowboy Jamboree in September... She ran 26 21 for 6K and was 197th. I think she faded quite badly in that race, but this was a very promising sign. Uh, it's one second slower than a high school PB, which was the high school record at the time 1534. But this kind of shows me okay, she has moved to altitude now in Provo. She's had a year in Dil Taylor's system. Now she's getting back to showing us what made her so brilliant in high school. I was very encouraged by this, and not to say that thirteen forty two is a bad showing by Colin Solomon. I thought he also ran very well and should be pleased with that. Um, but the Hutchins result, I'm super excited about. And I would put it to you guys: like, I, I'm kind of curious of the two, who do you think's more likely to win an NCAA individual title before their careers done?
0: Jenna Hutchins, John. I don't know, it just seems easy. Colin Solomon's not running that well. Well, I mean, this performance was a lot better, but I feel like they're harder to... W- it's more competitive on the men's side. It's deeper. So I feel like if you're a high school phenom, it gives you... I don't know. She's like 80% of the way there, right?
1: Yes, I see it similarly. You look at the men's distance events and then indoors and how many stars you had in those events. And the women, obviously, as long as Tui's around, it's going to be very hard to beat her. But I don't think Tui's going to be around for that much longer at the college level. And once she's gone, you know, then I don't think there's an immediate success. So maybe if Parker Valby can stay healthy. But yes, I would say it's probably, you're probably just going to have more athletes capable of winning a national title on the men's side versus the women. So I would say it's probably Hutchins. But it's exciting for American distance running that both of these athletes appear to be on the right track.
2: I also think it's Hutchings. I just, people are going to say, Oh, three white guys are saying it's harder to do on the men's side, but I just think it is like there's more African talent on the men's side. I've said this for a long time. Like Africa is still a somewhat as much more sexist of a place than America. A lot of the women are not getting the education. They're getting pregnant at a young age. They're not coming over to America to run a college. Like that's just, there's more men coming over. I I would like, we we should actually add up the number of, you know, American born NCAA winners over the last 20 years since 2000 versus women. I, I would be surprised if it's not more on the, on the women's side than the men's side. Okay, guys, what I wanted to say, Weldon and John won't let me say, by the way, did you see our April fool's edition? We had some cool stuff up. John wrote a great article about the triple threshold training. John, I haven't congratulated on you. I really enjoyed it. And I was reading the message board. Some people believed it until they... It was about how, like, Jared Negus was going to start doing... He was going to get tattoos because he couldn't figure out why Jakob Ingebrigtsen was so good. Then he realized it was... They heard about triple threshold training or something. So, very good job. But there also was an article that I wrote for this that... And I meant to tell the supporters club members, I was canceled by my own staff. Jonathan and Weldon would not publish the article. So if you're a supporters club member and you want to read it, I will send it to you. It wasn't even that bad, but this is pathetic. And, John, I want you to admit this on air. And Weldon is the boss. You can do it. John said, we can't publish this. I'll lose access. True or false, you
1: said those words. I did say that. (laughs) Because you can't just go around taking pot shots and pissing off people in the sport and expect them to continue talking to them.
2: So SC members, send me your screen name, your SC member, and I'll verify and I'll send you a link so you can read it. But we did mess up on our April Fools last year and offended some people, so maybe, maybe. It's just, John thinks it's a pot shot. I just feel like it's, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, if I walked into my wife in April Fools and said, honey, guess what? I cheated on you last night. April Fools, she wouldn't think that's funny. So,
1: no, I just look. April Fools is meant to be fun, right? I feel like the Goose Triple Threshold thing, everyone can kind of enjoy that. Some of these other ones that we do, people get mad, legitimately mad, even if we're not totally serious. So, I think we made the right call here. Let's talk about something that happened on April Fool's Day.
2: Can we give a shout out though to Tim? What's his name? Tim Silva. He wrote a couple. He always writes a couple guest columns for us in April Fool's. I loved his too. One was Nike was buying Let's Run. And one was we had a full day where every post, every thread was super positive on Let's Run.
1: And all running related. That one was actually brilliant. I really enjoyed that article. So kudos. But I want to talk about something that took place on April Fool's Day, April 1st. One of the best races I've seen in 2023, the men's four by 400 meter relay at the Texas relays. Well, then I know you watched this race, Robert. Did you see it? No, I did not. Okay. You need to watch it at some point today. It was absolutely fantastic. John, if he hasn't seen it,
0: not sure how much this will correspond to audio, but will Sumner. Somebody here put him on their Olympic team next year in the 800 meter. The Georgia freshman was on the yanker. He's more, he's a 400, 800 type. And he just got walked down on the backstretch by two guys one from Alabama, one from UCLA. We pick it up essentially right after he gets passed. Here it is. As Alabama now makes the move on the backstretch
1: we'll see how Will Sumner answers that. Oh my goodness, he's dropping hes dropping back quite a bit, but here comes UCLA. Chris Robinson for Alabama
0: as the Bruins are now in the hunt. Remember, Sumner's an 800-meter runner. He's coming back. Here he comes, Will Sumner. Fantastic freshman, half-moder from Georgia. Wins it for the Bulldogs. Looks like they were under three minutes. I probably should have been narrating over that. Will Sumner fell like 10 yards behind and then like storms back the last 100 and wins the damn thing. And splits 44-8 or something. Is that right, John?
1: Yeah, and I want to ask you guys, where's the last time in a 4x4 relay you saw a team go from first to third to first over the final 250 meters? Because I'm racking my brain. I can't remember seeing something like this before.
0: Well it's like the Mary Mora of the eight hundred. It's the only thing similar I can think of. The Kenyan eight hundred meter runner last year went out hard in eight hundred, faded all the way to last,
1: and then came back and won it. Yeah, the Commonwealth Games final. Robert, are you now on the Will Sumner hype train? Is he on your Olympic team after this race?
2: No, and I, I shouldn't say what I'm about to say, but I'm gonna say it anyway. It's not really that bad, but that right there, that, that video was amazing. By the way, Weldon should have been narrating. It, it was a 258. Was that a collegiate record?
1: It's number two all time in collegiate history behind Florida from last year. And the top three all broke three minutes, which has never happened in a collegiate four by four before.
2: And what were the Georgia splits? Do we have them officially just to get them out there?
1: Well, the problem is they didn't give an official split for the first two legs. The last two is 45-53 for Caleb Kavanaugh and 44-8 for Will Sumner. And some people have done various hand timing. It's a little difficult for the first two because it's a three time stagger, but the hand time on the message war was forty-four four for Elijah Godwin on the leadoff and forty-three eight for Matthew Bowling on the second leg.
2: But what what always shocks to me about Sumner when he runs, and it was what I was talking about earlier, like the best way to run is kind of boring. Just just met your your your, your effort out. Don't worry what other people are doing. So it's like, he's getting past, you're know, like, dude, what are you doing? You're, you have this chance to break the collegiate record, and you're letting everybody just go by you. And yet, he runs pretty damn even and beats them all. But it, it amazes me, because he is fast. He's splitting, what, 44-8, you said? But mm-hmm. every time I see him run, it's the same thing in the 800. Like, he doesn't look like he gets out fast. In the 800, it didn't he was running in the back. So I, I kind of want to see someone get up there and run and challenge, even though I know it's stupid. So the way he's running probably is very smart, but when I'm watching it right now in the short term, I'm like, I need to see more competitive fire when that's not really what the sport is about. So I did not pick him for the team. You did. You, you actually point out that a lot of times there is one collegiate in that 800 men's team. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. He's a big talent.
1: Um, for sure. Well, competitive fire. Did you see his last hundred where he storms back to win the race? Seemed like plenty of competitive fire to me. The other thing I really liked about this, this Georgia team has got some personality on it. Like Elijah Godwin, NCAA Indoor 400 champ. Matthew Bowling, NCAA 200 meter champ. He's back in Texas, was a Texas high school star. Reminded me of that epic four by four he had at the state meet in J-19 where the announcer was like, oh, I've got to walk down. You know, he won the team for his school. That was awesome. He's back on the same track. And then Sumner is a freshman phenom in the 800. So you've got, between Godwin, Bowling, and Sumner, like three real stars in their own events. They're all coming from different events. Kavanaugh is a 400 hurdler. Bowling's a 200 guy who clearly can run a pretty fast 400. And Sumner's an 800 guy who can also run a fast 400. Just that combination, it kind of feels to me like, like it's like one of those high school teams. You know, you high school team, you get everyone from different events instead of just full 400 runners. So I really like that team. I think it's going to be fun to watch them run the rest of the season. NCAA should be great because Arkansas, the NCAA Indoor Champs, didn't run this race. I'm just pumped. This team's got some personality, some star power. It's great for the sport.
2: There were some other interesting races at Texas Relays. Kentucky's Masai Russell, twelve thirty six collegiate record in the hurdles. Texas women just racked it up: four by one, four by two, and sprint medley collegiate records on the women's side. But John, there was one other sprint action I didn't see. Have you seen the video of this? The pro race: USA Gold forty one seventy five, USA Stars forty two ten, and it looks like the anchor legs were Aaliyah Hobbs versus Shakari Richardson's. So. Is that who was both on the anchor? And how did Shakari look compared to Aaliyah Hobbs? Because Aaliyah Hobbs was on fire
1: indoors. Aaliyah Hobbs got a big lead. So she got the baton with a lead and got out pretty quickly. Shakari her exchange, I don't think was quite as smooth. So she had some ground to make up. I mean, Hobbs put this thing to bed very early in the leg. But I thought Shikari closed fairly well. Uh, she held off Gabby Thomas for second place. I thought it was pretty solid showing for Shakira Rich. I, I mean, ba- just based on eye test, I didn't get to see any splits, 100 hundred four by one splits. You know, you never know what, quite what to make about them. But it seemed like a decent start for her first outdoor race. It was cool though. that The winning team for the US for the race had three of the four women who were on the winning four by one at world championships last year with Br- Jenna Prandini Abby Steiner, and Melissa Jefferson. The only difference was Leah Hobbs, and Hobbs had run the prelims at Worlds. She didn't run the final. TT T. Terry did it instead, but it was a loaded race. I mean, basically, any professional 100-meter runner in the United States was in this race on one of the top five, te- five teams. Yes, yeah, so I saw a thread on Let's Run.
0: People were trying to make it sound like carried Cut into Leah Hobbs. When I watched it, I didn't see that. It looked like Gabby Thomas was, they was I feel like they all sort of held their own, but it's hard to tell because of like parallax of the camera. Aliyah's out in front to begin with. It wasn't a discouraging performance for sure. If anything, it's slightly encouraging. I would say one other result
2: from Texas really that caught my eye. Bryce Hopple. I think all three of us picked him to make the Olympic team next year. It's not every day that you have an Olympian, a guy that was fourth in the worlds in, in 2019, lose to a college freshman. But that's what happened to Texas Real Age. Bryce Hoppel, 145, 59. Angelo State freshman. This is Division II school, by the way. Osami El Bouchibi. Now he's 24, he's from Morocco. And he's just done. I mean, he came in with a 148.31 PP. That's all I could find. But he ran 146.78 indoors, and now he's run 145.31. So, congrats to him.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, 145 on April 1st, that's fine for Hopple. He got beat by a D2 guy, but he got beat by a 145 D2 guy. So, I think it's an impressive run. For I'm sorry, Robert. Was, what was the last name again? Can you repeat that? What well, could is B O U
2: C H? Is it Bukab
1: Bukabi or Buchibi? It's probably Bukabi or something like that. Bukabi. But, yeah, I, I don't think anything to worry about for Bryce Hopple. That's for this point in the season. I think that's fine.
2: Can we give a shout-out? This, to me, proves – I mean, I don't know who's coaching this guy, but has Angelo studied, have they ever coached anyone close to 145 before? looks like the head coach's name is Tom DeBurn. I have no idea if he's the coach, but I've always felt like if you know how to coach, you can coach anybody. So it's not that much different coaching a high school champion in the 800 than it is one of the best guys in the world. It's just faster.
1: I'm shocked that you didn't make a pitch for all these pros to consider you as their coach, considering you, know, you, you accomplished stuff at the college level. This is normally the part of the show where Robert pleads a professional runner who's not doing well to switch coaches and start being trained by him. But it hasn't happened. So well, I guess we can move on.
2: Can you remind me, speaking of which, I was listening, I think, to Friday's show. Who's without a coach now? Somebody prominent. I was thinking, wow, why didn't I offer my services on the podcast? I forgot who it was last week. Anyways, if I remember, I'll be sure to reach out to them. But the other result, before we get to Hillway Boy, guys, the Jamaican, the champs, their big high school meet, um, they hit some incredible sprinting. 100 boys' and girls' records fall. Oh, God, I mean, I'm going to mess up the first name here, John. Woodie Nukrumi, 9.99 on the men's side. Moved to number three in the all-time world under 20 list. And then Elena Reed, 1092.
1: Yeah, I was excited to see these results, Robert, because Jamaica's already very good on the women's side. They've swept the podium the last two global championships. But no Jamaican man has medaled at Worlds or the Olympics since Usain Bolt in 2017. And I think the sp- sprints are better when you've got some competitive Jamaicans in these events. Brings extra excitement. And their prospects for this next Olympic cycle are looking very bright right now because you've got Nakrumi, 9.99. He's just he's the third youngest person ever to break 10 seconds of the 100. Let's see El Tabogo of Botswana, who ran 9.91 last year, by the way, is the youngest. They've also got Oblique Seville, who was fourth at Wells last year at age 21. And they've got Akimake, who ran 9.93 at age 20 last year. So, between the three of them, chances are at least one of them is going to be challenging. Well, Seville already challenged for a medal at Worlds last year, but that's a very nice crop of talent for them early in the 2020s. I'm excited to see what they can do the rest of the decade um, and maybe give some of the Americans a run for their money in Budapest or beyond. All right, well, that's going to do it for the regular portion of the podcast. And stay tuned. We will have... Hillary Boer, your two-time U.S. 10-mile champion, three-time defending U.S. steeplechase champion, will be joining us right now.
0: Hillary Boer is our special guest. This past weekend, he ran 46-11 to break Greg Meyer's 40-year-old American 10-mile record at the Credit Union Cherry Blossom at the... And in the process, he picked up $59,000. Prior to this year, Hillary was most known for being a steeplechaser, where he's won the last three USA championships in the steeple. He's a two-time Olympian, three-time top eight finisher at the Worlds, and he's got an 808-41 PB, originally from Eldoret, Kenya, where in high high school, he was not only a steeplechaser, but a district champ in the long jump, and pole vault we never had a pole vaulter on the show john this is amazing hillary now uh lives in colorado springs trains with scott simmons group and is sponsored by hoka one one hillary welcome to the program congrats about this weekend
3: thank you and thank you for having
0: me well first of all this weekend there was a fifty thousand dollar bonus i mean you would have could have to split it with a bunch of people for the ten mile record, and you got it all for yourself despite windy conditions. Tell us a little bit about the race and how long you were targeting this record.
3: You know, uh, last year I did the USATF ten miler, and when I did for the six oh six, my coach told me that's not going to be an American record. So we kind of cycle, like looked at what's going to be the next, and we knew Jerry Blossom, Jerry Blossom is going to be a good race if the weather was good. So we've been planning it since uh, November last year. And how did you end up running that race, the 10-mile champs last fall? Last fall? So I was getting ready for the damon Lake final, right? Uh, after the wars. And then uh, I went to California for the... We had something to do with Oka. Oka was shooting some stuff, and when I get back, I was supposed to fly in to fly to Europe, then in, the, in the, like four days later. But when I got back, I got really sick and I had a virus. And I was told I was not supposed to fly within the next seven days. So I was, I quarantined myself for the next seven days. And after that, I had a talk with Coach, and Coach told me, you know, there's no, there's no way I could do the finals because the final was uh, within two weeks' time. And uh, we kind of decided to just look at the schedule and see what was on the schedule. And uh, we saw the 10 mile it was uh, four weeks later. And that time, Shadrack was getting ready for the New York Marathon. So that was really easy for me because I had to help tra- Shadrack with the training.
0: And, and that's how
3: I decided to run the 10 mile last day
0: last year. That's crazy. So you become a really good road runner almost by accident, just being a pacer for Shadrack. Very
3: much. Very much. Uh, I did a 15K last year. I finished that in uh, February, I think March last year, and it felt really, really, really comfortable running the 15K. And, uh, you know, I've been doing track for quite a while now, so it has been in my bag of my mind, like I need to start doing these road races and how, and see how I feel and how if I'll be able to, you know, transition to road racing uh, in the next few years.
1: And looking at Sunday's race at Cherry Blossom, there are a bunch of different things on the line because there's a U.S. title, there's the overall win, and then there's this American record where if you get it, you win a $50,000 bonus. So when you're going into the race, are you chasing one of those goals compared to the other ones? Or are you just trying to go for the win and see what happens? Happens. Uh, What was your approach going into this race?
3: My approach was to get the American record for sure. And uh, when I look at the starting list, you had really, really, really good guys who have run like 58 lows in the half marathon. You have just Langat; like he just ran 58 low two months ago and he ran to a 6.59 in the 10 k So I knew that guy was, if the weather was good, I knew he was going to try to go for the for the world record. And uh, the, the, the night before, I've been monitoring the weather and I knew the weather was not going to be really that conducive to run fast so for me i knew i had a chance to get the american record and i knew those guys didn't have a chance to run the world record because 44 mid 44 is going to be fast you need really perfect weather so i went in knowing that if these guys just set out for the win it was going to be me to push all the way and just try to get the american record
1: and how difficult was it to do that with the weather it was cold and windy on race day
3: it was difficult at first, I forgot my watch because uh, I forgot my watch, and uh, there was no split until the past two mile and When I looked at the first two mile it was nine thirty so in my calculation, that was four forty five base and I knew we were really off the base and uh, coming up the two mile there's a nice downhill, and that's when I started pushing. I think the next mile was like around four eighteen and went through five k fourteen thirty nine so I knew I needed to just Keep pressing and pressing and pressing. And uh, luckily enough, I kept just kept pressing it and I was glad
0: to come up with the American record. It's interesting because beforehand, we we heard you didn't have a watch, but I don't know, you just left it. You meant to have one. Maybe it's a new way to run. Yes,
3: but again, you know, it's, it's an if you're leading and you don't have the split, it's just like a no man's line. You don't know how much you need to push or if you're pushing too hard and and the a guy who was, who was sat behind me the whole time. I was trying to talk to him. Apparently, he doesn't understand English. It was hard, it was hard to communicate. And I, just, I was just hoping that I get the record.
0: Yeah, so I didn't see it. You were really pushing for the time the whole way, and he was sitting behind you, and then he sort of kicked by you at the end. Is that what happened?
3: Yes, he, he really didn't want to help behind me. Behind me. And so he sit until the last, I think that's the last 200, and that's when he just started kicking.
0: And when did you find out about the, the bonus? Like when did they announce that? I mean, that's a huge financial windfall for you, but like, when did you realize that was a possibility?
3: So we met with the race organizer for Jerry Plossum uh, after I ran the, no, we didn't met, Koi texted him, saying, okay, we might come for Jerry Plossum to to try to get America record. And he sent me the invitation, I think it was November. And when I was looking through the invitation, I saw that fifty thousand because it was a fifth fifth year anniversary. And I saw the fifty thousand dollars and I was like, oh, this is a it's gonna be a good good race. And then uh, I knew it since uh, November last year.
1: Okay, and it was listed on their website as forty-five fifty-four was the time you had to beat, which was what Galen Rupp ran en route to a half marathon in October twenty twenty. But that was never ratified. As the official American record, which is 4613 until you broke it. So, when did you like? Do you realize it said a different time than what the record was on the website? Like, how did you guys figure out what time you actually had to shoot for? So, training wise, we knew we, sh- we were shooting for 4554,
3: and we didn't know that's going to change until the, the night before the race when we had a meeting, and they say that the time is still for the 6.13 because apparently they didn't submit paperwork uh, for the to ratify uh, calendar record. So we knew we found out the night before. But for me, going in, I knew
1: I needed to run at least for the 5.53
3: before, before the
1: meeting. Okay, well that turned out to be very helpful then in the end because once the weather turned, you know, you end up running you got under the official record but not under the unofficial record but you still get paid for it. So it worked out pretty well for you in the end, huh?
3: It did because the weather I don't think we would have broken 46 because the weather was really bad. If you look at my last split my last 1K was like 314. It was really slow because there was the wind the last three miles for sure. And it was really it was, it was just like running through the wall the last three miles.
0: Yeah, like with a mile to go, did, were you aware of sort of like what time you needed to run? Like the final 100? or are you just kind of freaking out? Like,
3: I was aware the last two miles because I checked. I looked at the header at time for the eight mile. And I knew I needed to run at least 4.45 to, uh, to make the record. But then the wind was too strong. And I could feel that I was we were running close to five minutes. So in my mind, I was waiting for the nine-mile mark, but apparently the nine-mile mark was blown away by the wind. So by the time I was looking for it, was like, oh, it's 15 gate, there's one gate to go. And by 10, I was just like, okay, it's just time to push and see if, I, if I'll be lucky. In
0: coming in with no wind, how fast did you think you could run? We felt like... I
3: felt like I was in a mid-45 shift. So I felt like if the weather was good, I was
0: 45, 30 was, was within my reach. Yeah, for those of you guys following at home, he, he ran 4.37 a mile for 10 miles, which is very impressive. Um, so I guess, are you, are you still going to focus on the steeplechase? Like this year... And the Olympics, kind of what's the thought process through the Olympics on our Supporters Club podcast? We we picked the men's Olympic team this past weekend. And then we're like, could Hillary move up to the marathon by the Olympics? Like, what are your thoughts about the steeplechase?
3: Our plan is just uh, to finish up the next two years on the track. So I plan to continue. So right now I've been accepted to Rabat and Paris. So now I'm just going to transition to track. I might do the sound running just to open up because I've been doing a lot of road tracing of oh, late, so I just need a, just a new uh, to test out the steeple and sound running and then Rabat and Paris and just get ready for the wars.
1: So is there any chance you could do the Olympic marathon trials in 2024? Because I did, I was thinking of Stanley Cabene, who he was a world championship finalist in 2019 and then he runs the Olympic trials and the marathon the next year. Is there any chance you could do that? or oh, that's totally off the table.
3: No, it's totally off the table. I mean, uh, I can't take that risk because uh, marathon distance itself is it's a long way. You just, you can't take that risk. Uh, my plan is to just trans- transition after the, after the Olympics. If I made the Olympic team, that would be good.
0: And But my plan is just move to the roads after the Olympics. Yeah, my brother's not on this podcast, but earlier we were talking and he was like, Oh, if Hillary doesn't do the Olympic Trials, he still should do the New York City Marathon. When this, he was saying this fall because mm-hmm. they're going to be all the marathoners will be focused on the trials, and they're going to need Americans to run it, so they'll pay you a bunch of money. So if you want to make a bunch of money, you should run New York City Marathon this November. I I really respect the distance. Uh, you know,
3: my uncle, I was still into my uncle back in Kenya. He's really a good coach, and uh, he coaches a lot of Maradonas. So was like you know. In order to get really ready for the marathon, you don't want to just call him blindsided because if you have a bad marathon, one ma- bad marathon, it's gonna, it might discourage you. So I really need time to get ready for that
0: before I take that risk. You're in a big running family. Both your brothers, you know, went to college here, or how many brothers do you have? I know you have two who ran in college here.
3: I have five. Uh, my older brother actually ran at 2.11 back in 2004. He has a 2.11, and then, yeah, that's, that's the only guy he has run marathon. But based on the training, my, if you look at my training, actually, my last training, the last five years, I trained mostly with the Maradona. So I'm more of a strength guy rather than a speed guy. So
0: I think I'll be able to transition well when the time comes. Yeah, I think so, for sure. But in terms of the, the track, the steeplechase, 808 PB, I want to see an American – go under that eight-minute barrier, is that still something you think is a possibility for you? Like how fast do you think you run running the steeple? I
3: think that's a possibility. We've be, I've been talking with Coach about it, and uh, we think we can get close to that. Uh, last year, for sure, I was in really good shape, but I feel like this year I have more strength than last year, of which it's normally coming from a strength background. I think I'm more stronger than last year, so it's a matter of getting a good race and see what I can do.
1: And I got to get your thoughts on Lometra Gurma and the indoor season he had. He runs 723, the overall world record in the, well, the world record in the flat 3,000 indoors. It's not the overall world record in the 3,000. But when you see that and then you're like, I'm going to have to race this guy at some point this season in a steeple, do you get excited? You're like, hey, it's a steeple guy doing well, or are you more like, wow, that's really fast? What's your reaction when you see that time? It's it's more like, wow, that's quick. Uh, And you remember last year,
3: uh Wally oh, missed by a second. I think Male Wale missed a by a second. So those two those those two guys have been really, really really fast. They have a lot of feet. And if you look at the steeple now, it's Lamenji Kerma and then you have Al Bakali. So it's I think the steeple just now is really deep especially those two. But I feel like those two are like they feel like they're really they're really good right now. But if you after that, the rest of us are in the same pool, so it's just a matter of having a really good race and sneaking the body.
1: Yeah, I think that's how a lot of people would see it with those two at the top. I'm, I'm wondering. They both broke eight minutes last year. Like the world record has stood, I think, since 2004 or something. It's almost 20 years at this point with Shaheen. Do you think the world record could be in danger with how well they've been running the last couple of years? Yes, I do. I, especially LeMany and I think he has a
3: chance to to break the world record. So the problem now, if you look at the way they used to break the world record, he had at least four strong guys pushing the Sullivan team the last 800 or 400 meters. You don't see that nowadays. So you just have to have, they need to get a better best set of that. And to be able, one of them needs to run in order to push themselves to get that wild
0: dragon. Mm. Maybe you could be a pace setter. I mean, I still want you to break eight, but there aren't, I mean, they need someone of your caliber to pace, right? And they pr- probably pace pretty well. Would you consider that or not? I won't say no. If, if the opportunity counts, that, but
3: again, I, I want to run close to that eight minute max. So that's that's my plan right now.
0: Yeah, sub eight, sub eight. I want sub eight. eight I'm, I'm eight. obsessed. I'm obsessed with that for some reason. It's like a long standing let's run. I don't know.
1: Well, it's one of the great major barriers that an American hasn't done yet. You know, you've had Americans go sub 27 in the 10K, you've had them go sub 13 in the 5K, sub eight in the steeple. It's one of the white whales out there. So it would be fun to see, you know, guys like you or if Jay guys has anything left or, you know, people seeing them challenge it. I think it would be fun.
3: Yeah, I think it would be fun. I think Jekyll ran really well towards the end of the season. So, I think he has he still has something. Something. I mean, he's, he's been one of the best guys. You know, Paris, was it 2013 or 2015? 2015. 2015. Yeah. yeah, he could have cut in that sub-8 for sure. But we'll see how how this season goes. So. Yeah,
0: I shouldn't write him. I, I shouldn't write him off, but... I kept thinking he was going to break eight, and now I'm thinking uh, probably not. But if anyone could regain it, it's probably him. Um, turning to, to this, we we're talking about beforehand. I'm like, did you really pole vault in high school?
3: Yes, actually, I was. I did ball foot, long jump, I did triple jump. So that was my three main events when I when I was in high school. When did you transition to running? Actually, to uh, and, and, uh, my senior year in, in high school, just because I was told, you order know, to get a scholarship, you just you need, you need you need you need to focus on running.
0: And you were saying the pole vault, like it wasn't a flexible pole. It's, is it made out of wood? What's it made out of metal? Like, how did how do they do it in Kenya? It's just most of them. is just made out of uh, wood. So
3: they cut the hood and just let it dry for like a week or so before the before the event. Which is risk sometimes the hood can break, but that's how we do it.
0: And what do you land? And you don't like land on your back because there's no. Is there a pit? What do you land into?
3: It's just
0: they dig the they dig the they
3: dig the the flow, make it like a like soft and that's how you
1: land on it.
0: It's
3: crazy. So just do
1: it, basically. Yes. And how high did you go?
3: I don't remember how high I did, but I remember my high jam was... Uh, I did high jump too. I remember my high jam was uh, one point, around 1.8, and my long jam was 7 meters, so about 24.
1: What? Isn't that really good? Yeah, it's good. Wow. 7 meters is great. I mean, he would be better than pretty much any woman in the entire world. Like, a lot of high schoolers or college guys would be happy with 7 meters. Like, 7 meters, I feel like if you're jumping 7 meters, that's... There are some D1 teams you could do that for, right? I think so. I think so, yeah. And I guess
3: that's why I explained the reason why when I do the water pit, I really have a good water pit just because I came from the background of doing the long jam and the on all of these.
0: Well, this is set up. I mean, you're the most versatile runner, I think, we've ever met. So you need to break, you need to go sub eight, um, break the U.S. half marathon record. That one's been there a long time too. And then run a really fast, fast marathon as well. Yeah. I think that's within reach for sure. And uh,
3: hmm. we've been looking at the, we've been looking at Valencia for quite a while, and depending on how this year or next year, we might go to Valencia and try to get
1: it. Oh, what's your half?
3: Yeah, Valencia. Yeah, and my brother is uh, he's, hes really a—he's really a good road runner right now. And uh, we've been talking like we,
0: we, both of us, need to go to Valencia and try to push together. You're talking about Emmanuel. Yes. Yeah. So he was in this race this weekend. Your older brother, right? He's like a year older. Is that right? Yeah, he's a year older than me. So you beat him by two minutes, but he's the 13-minute 5K runner. Like He should be yeah. beating you at 10 miles, I think. What's up with him? So he's been traveling on and off since uh, Australia. Give me one second. You got your three-year-old son here now. What's his name? Uh, Jalen. Hi, Jalen.
3: Yeah, he's about to sleep. He's old, he has a older sister. I have a daughter five and a half. What's your name? Hashi. Uh, so, it's busy. But, so my brother has been traveling back and forth in Australia. And then, you know, he's mo- he busy as yes, he moved to Arizona. He went to officer school and the military moved him to Arizona. And last week, he had to drive U-Haul all the way to Arizona, taking his uh, household belongings. And he didn't recover from that. It's it a long drive. So he's still full time military, right? Yes, he's a full time military, yes.
0: And how was that for you? You used to be in the WCAP program and then you left the military. Like, how did that decision come about? Like, what was the WCAP experience for you?
3: It was good. You know, I started with a regular unit for full time for four years. And then I joined the WGA for four years. And then after that, when I had two, two of my kids, and it uh, got really busy. So those guys actually, when they focus on running, they have time to train. But there's a lot of traveling. They do add extra stuff and uh, they have to go to the boat back to the units all and all. So for me, I was I wanted to try a full time route and see what my what I can accomplish. That's why I decided to just ETS from the hammy and just focus for the running and see what my capability was. Because they still a lot of destruction with those guys.
0: Yeah, I think people don't realize, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that goes on. You're not just training. You got other military obligations and that sort of stuff. Yes. I mean, it's amazing also that you started out like legit full-fledged regular army for four years and were able to get to this level. So, I mean, that's a testament to you and the army for making that possible. I always tell people like, if I didn't join the Army,
3: I was, when I finished I, my last race in NCI, I think I was like 12 or second last. And I, in my mind, I was like, that's my last, last race. I'm not going to run again. And then when I joined the military, I was really lucky enough to be stationed here in Colorado Spring. And when I got stationed here, I found out Scott Simon and the ADB, American Distance Group. And uh, so I trained with them bad time over the weekend. But. My unit, my leadership was really nice. So I was given time to just train in the morning, running at 5 a.m. before I go to work at nine, And that's how I, I, I got back to running.
0: And that led me to making the 2016 Olympic team. So That's crazy. That's like the American dream. I didn't realize that it's pretty much almost like blind luck that you kept running. Yeah, when you graduated Iowa State, like what were your PBs? What was your best place at, at NCA's? I was, sec- I was second was my
3: best place. So I was that second, fourth, and then I think 11, my last year. And 8.32, between 8.32 to 8.38 for like eight years straight from 20- 2007, 2008, I mean, to 2015. I never broke in 8.32 hours. Every time I race was like 8.32, 8.33. So my breakthrough was 2016.
1: What happened that year? What was different?
3: It was just, I think it was just a dig- like being able to train with the APB for since 2013, 2014, 2015. So I was getting stronger and stronger. I think just working on my tre- strength and just three years of the same training over and over just led me to have that breakout. And if you look at my 15K, I ran 15K 2015. 2016, actually. I ran like 47. And so five years later, I'll be able to run 43. So
0: it's just a matter of consistency and
3: just putting in work here after year and after year.
0: It's kind of crazy, like looking at your steeplechase PBs, like you said, 8.36 way back in 2008. By, there's an 8.32 in 2013, 8.38 in 2014, 8.45 in 2015, and then 2016, 8.13, and you've been under 8.15 every single year since. Like you're, yes. you're a completely different runner, essentially.
3: Yeah, that was, what, once I had a break out, break through, I just stick with what we were doing. I just found out that do the same stuff over and over and just make sure I'm not injured, so.
0: So I guess, what do you think the next race is? It sounds like maybe Mount SAC or something, kind of, Talk us through, I, I guess, through the World Championships.
3: So my next race is going to be some running. That's May 7th. And then after that, I'm going to go to Europe for two races. I'm going to do Rabat only on May 28th. And then June 10 I'm going to do Paris. And then I'm going to come back to U.S. to get ready for the walls. And uh, hopefully I make the world team. So after that, I'm just going to do Monaco and then the walls.
0: And for these Diamond League races, like, do they, do you get any appearance fee to show up with these things? Or it's all just prize money? How does that work? Or it's just about getting ranking points, that sort of stuff? Like, or you just want to race the best? How does this sort of, because as we saw this weekend, like, sometimes there's huge financial rewards. And sometimes people are running, like, at Mount Sack almost for free. Like, how does it work on the Diamond League for you?
3: Diamond League is just, there's not appearance. It's just, you're lucky to get in, for sure. There's a lot of people don't realize how much politics they are in, in Damone Lakes. So Damone Lakes, just you're like lucky to get in, and it's crazy how, I suppose, they have uses these as a,
0: as a rankings. Cause too much politics, and it it's crazy. I you hear about it, but we're not runners, so we don't, we don't realize how it goes on. But Hillary, it sounds like your your son's acting up, and you need to help him. So. We already took you 15 more minutes than we said we would, so we appreciate it. Also, appreciate you know I gotta help out a lot with my daughter around here. You know, they they keep us busy and they keep me young. I'm a much older guy than you, so thanks for joining us and good luck the rest of the year. Thank you, I appreciate it. Don't don't spend all the money at once either. You know, save it. No, the, I can't because these
3: kids need to go to school later on. So,
1: <laughs> all right. Thanks, Hillary. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Bye. Let's Run Nation. You want to do something fulfilling? You want to give back to the sport you love? You want to make some money? We've got the opportunity for you. Crazy Running offers running and track and field conditioning programs for kids ages 3 to 17. They're looking to expand. They're looking for people to run their franchises. They started out with one location in North Carolina. They're now in five states. The co-owners of this thing, one was an Olympic trials, fourth placer. These are runners through and through. You got to check it out. Link in the show notes, crazyrunning.com slash franchise. Check the link in the show notes.